the Evolved Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Ruth Saunders, founder and managing partner of two marketing companies, Galleon Blue and On Point, as well as a trainer, speaker and coach with more than 30 years experience in her sector. Ruth has also co-authored the book, Female Entrepreneurs, The Secret of Their Success, which was released in April. And this is the main topic and focus of our discussion on this podcast. The book comprises of interviews with 52 women entrepreneurs, each revealing the catalysts that led them to breaking out on their own, as well as the challenges they overcome to realise their ambitions. The book was also written to inspire potential female entrepreneurs to take the leap, while also encouraging governments and the corporate world to recognise and embrace the special attributes that women bring to both the workplace and society as a whole. It's a really important book with plenty of thought-provoking and pertinent discussions. And in this podcast, Ruth reveals the somewhat contentious question that women are often asked in a job interview. A number of our entrepreneurs said the first thing they get asked in an interview is, how do you combine both your career and a family? And they go, when do you ever hear that asked of a man? Talks about the effect that a woman's less egocentric and more empathetic approach to leadership can have on an organisation. Yeah, a number of our interviewees talked about how they wanted to create a more open, collaborative, empathetic workplace environment, in part because they felt that made better decisions if everybody's got an equal say and everybody can give their, openly give their point of view and debate it, then between them they should be able to have a more 360 degree view and better outcomes from it. And discusses the unique and perhaps wildly underregarded prejudices that women can face in the workplace. There's quite a lot of research around older men with grey hair are seen as having gravitas, as seen as experienced and confident, whereas older women are seen as past it, kind of lacking confidence and, and you know, shouldn't be around much more. If you want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and join our community. But for now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Ruth. Welcome to the Evolved Succeed podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. It's great to have you on the podcast. And for our listeners, I just wonder if you could give us a bit of your background, please. My name is Ruth Saunders. I've been doing marketing and branding consultancy work for the last 30 years. And I have my own business, which is an entrepreneurial venture since 2007, where I support my clients from my own home. Fantastic. And you've recently written a book, Female Entrepreneurs, The Secret of Their Success. What inspired you to write the book? So uh, we hosted a dinner in 2017, thinking of all the female entrepreneurs we could think of, and there was 26 in total. And somebody at the dinner said, it would be great to write a book about all of our experiences. And we thought, that's a great idea. Went to our publishers, and uh, they said they would love to do it. And so we spent 2018 interviewing 52 successful female entrepreneurs, ranging from the ages of 11 through to in their 60s, and then wrote the book in 2019, and it came out in April this year. 
Fantastic. Well, congratulations on the release of the book. That's a wide spectrum there of individuals, and I'm sure from different backgrounds as well, which is going to make, I'm sure, our listeners fascinated to hear some of the facts and findings that you you know, came from that, uh, those interviews and through research for the book. And I thought I'd just kick off with that and just um, just ask you, out of those 52 female entrepreneurs, what was the catalyst that you, you know, what were the catalysts that they sort of named for taking the leap to becoming an entrepreneur and starting their own business? It was fascinating, the range of catalysts we saw. Um, one thing that really struck us is that you can start your business at any age or life stage. So as I said, we had an 11-year-old who started performing in the arts when she was four and is already doing film direction, uh, all the way up to somebody who, after retirement in her 60s, started her own business in something that she was passionate about. And all the spectrums in between. So one piece of advice I would give is, if you want to be an entrepreneur, do it, any age, any life stage, any reason you can make it work. In the book, we found six catalysts uh, came through. The first one was around childhood influences, in part because people may have entrepreneurial parents, so they are emulating them, but in part due to the the experiences they had as children. So Melanie Chevalier moved around a lot of continents in her childhood, and she noticed that cultures were very different. So when she was older, she set up her own business, Creative Culture, which looks at uh, translating advertising into local cultural norms. So that was kind of one influence. Another one we had, which was a very strong one, was the desire to combine career with family. So when people had young children, they found it impossible to have a great career like they used to have because they couldn't travel as much or they couldn't work into the evenings as as much. And Leanne Eden and Dina McCallum were two people who set up Eden McCallum uh, after leaving Condé Nast and McKinsey because they wanted to have a fantastic career, but also to be able to, to look after their young families. The third one we found was about uh, creating a more female-friendly working environment. Uh, And that is where people felt they were in an environment where there were no senior females. It was a very masculine environment. And they felt that they had to break through the glass ceiling to get into senior positions. And so they left to start up their own businesses where they could do their own thing and create a more collaborative, female-friendly environment. That was quite a common theme. That's really interesting, that one. And we will come on to discuss that later. I've got some questioning around that and how that, could, what we could do to change that going forward in terms of that very sort of masculine corporate world. But we'll come to that later in the interview. Thank Marie. you so much. Yes, the last two uh, uh, that I mentioned are very much issues in the corporate world. Uh, the fourth one was we had people who needed to work out of necessity. They had financial issues, refugees. So that was a common theme. And also people who had recently divorced and uh, needed to stand on their own two feet. Uh, A fifth one, very common, was having a great idea. And that was often to do with solving a problem for themselves in their own lives and then selling it to others uh, once they'd done that. So uh, Melanie Lawson had pregnancy issues and she wanted to take a very high-grade fish oil capsule and she couldn't find one in the UK. So she decided to make her own and it's now a very successful business. And then the sixth one was following a passion. Uh, So our 11-year-old, Verity, followed her passion of doing film direction and and acting. And our 60-year-old also followed her baking passion when she retired to start her own business. Uh, So that was another very common theme. Brilliant. And I suppose, as expected, there are some common themes there, you know, whatever the gender and whatever age or discipline you start a business in, you know, things like those childhood influences, having a great idea, 
following a passion is, you know, they're, they're kind of some of the expected things, but there's some more unusual ones there. And I think one of the more interesting things that came out of your interviews was that some women actually credited having children as that real trigger for them to become entrepreneurs. I wonder if you could just expand on that a little bit more, please. Yeah, so certainly we found two themes. I would say it's in your 20s and early 30s where women said, I actually don't want to work in a masculine corporate culture where I have to break through a glass ceiling. And they were determined to get out and start their businesses around the 30 mark. And then women in their 30s or late 30s, maybe very early 40s, who had young children who said, I really, really want to have a great career, but I'm being put into a second tier role because I cannot travel or work as late into the evenings as I used to. And that's not acceptable. I do not want to have a second tier career role. I want to have a fabulous career. And so they left to start their own business so that they could be senior and they could do what they love, but also have more flexibility to be able to go home and care for children or elderly parents. Brilliant. And from your finding, is there a trend in the specific types of businesses a woman is more likely to start? And if so, why do you think that may be? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. The businesses that are most profitable are the STEM industries, science, technology, engineering and maths, I think it is, and IT businesses. And men are more like 10 times more likely to start businesses in those areas. Uh, conversely, women are more likely to start businesses in education and in service industries. They're twice as more likely to do that. I think it's because women tend to gravitate to education and service type roles. We know that from COVID, where uh, women are getting more hit because they are in those types of businesses. So I think they naturally then, having worked in those industries, go on to set up their own businesses, or they like uh, serving others and, and looking after others. But unfortunately, those tend to be the less profitable businesses. And as we know, in COVID are the ones that are getting hit most. Yeah, and we're seeing that quite frequently, aren't we, on the news releases. Is It's the young and women that are being hit in the job sector, you know, as well as those in businesses that are struggling because they typically are in the service sector. I suppose, slight left field question, but do you think, you know, in terms of, you know, perhaps engineering, STEM, IT, those kind of things, product businesses, and and they're not being a gravitation towards those. Is that to do with our education system? Do you think we should be doing something more fundamentally? I mean, you talk about an 11-year-old starting a business, and I think that's amazing. But actually, we want to encourage more diversity, don't we? And do you think our education system fundamentally holds that back? I So I know that other countries are doing more to help female entrepreneurs. Uh, so the ones that are doing the most, I think Canada is right up there, Netherlands, Australia, US. And th- one of the things that some of them are doing is helping to educate women in STEM at a much earlier age, and then giving them building their confidence in those areas. I obviously think it should only be those people who want to go in those areas. I'm a mathematician myself, so I, I love maths. But certainly, some of the other countries that are leading the way are looking at STEM as a as a way of trying to to boost women. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great if we could. From like you say, I think Canada in particular has got a very forward thinking education system. Full stop, hasn't it? Yes. So. Um, yeah, and perhaps we could do more to learn from some of those countries and examples that you've given. So clearly, as a woman, there is no doubt that there's going to be this conflict, even in a modern world, between wanting to be a full-time mother and a successful entrepreneur. Do you think this conflict is still not fully acknowledged and understood, though? 
uh, this conflict is definitely not fully understood uh, and acted on. People talk about it. We know corporates give it a lot of lip service. But we had a lovely example come up, or not, not such a lovely example come up in our interviews, where one of the big four companies they created a come back to work program for new mothers and uh, you were very honored to be allowed to join it. But the person that we interviewed uh, quickly left it because the meetings were at seven o'clock in the evening. And that's the kind of whole, How ridiculous. I know, that's the whole <laughs> point of mums can't work into the evenings. So they, they do these kind of things, but actually they don't hit the root of the issue or solve the, the, the problem. And a lot of mums are now that sandwich generation who are also having to look after elderly parents as well. So they have a lot of burden on them. And the majority of that care burden goes on to the women still, unfortunately. And in terms of I suppose there's another thing there, isn't there? It's about either career ambition or business ambition and, and those things. And do you find that still in this modern world that we live, that you know, female entrepreneurs, women in business are criticised for being ambitious? Yeah, so a number of our entrepreneurs said the first thing they get asked in an interview is, how do you combine both your career and a family? And they go, when do you ever hear that being heard of a man, asked of a man? Um, there was a quote from a person called Tori Gerbig, who's a millennial mum and an entrepreneur, and she talked about how different would this conversation be if we stopped quietly judging our ambitious young women and successful female business leaders, but instead started asking them what they love about work. What gets you excited about work each day? Which of your professional accomplishments most shifted the trajectory of your career? Why do you do what you do? Perhaps before we can reach the point where we embrace our ambitious working mothers, we need to better understand their points of view. And I think yeah. that's absolutely spot on in terms of we should embrace success, not go, hmm, are you spending enough time with your family? As tends to be intimated today. And I mean, it's just so old school, isn't it? It's kind of shocking. But do you think, you know, things like our business organisations, things like the Federation of Small Business, the IOD, you know, local chambers, town chambers, county chambers of commerce and industry should be doing more to lobby on this point? I think uh, there's a lot of work to be done. And I think the UK has a huge opportunity to become a entrepreneurial centre uh, to drive, lead the way forward in the world, particularly with the with Brexit happening. Uh, I would love to see people lobbying more, governments engaging more, and governments thinking about how we can use this great workforce we've got, be it women or be it older people who are also very disadvantaged. So how can we enable these people to thrive and uh, contribute to the economy that we've got. Uh, one of the interesting so what's of our interviews, which we were quite surprised at, is a number of our female entrepreneurs actually ended up hiring uh, female part-time associates or even older associates. Uh, so they weren't full-time employed uh, and they weren't permanent, but they brought them in when needed and released them when they didn't. And they liked that flexibility of those workforces. And also they felt that those work workforces worked harder because young mums are trying to juggle both their kids and work and therefore need to get things done in certain amounts of time. So uh, we found that our females embrace that workforce. And I think more can be done by governments and by uh, institutions to help drive that it's interesting isn't it it is you know there's a lot of talk around covid and flexible working and working from home and that's risen to the agenda and a lot of organizations are changing their whole sort of archaic approach and i wonder whether that is going to help partly solve the situation if attitudes change as well 
as a general more acceptance around flexibility. That's got to help, hasn't it, Ruth? Absolutely. And it's great if people can have a better work-life balance, can find more flexible ways of working and can manage uh, their, their home situation alongside their work situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I quote an example within, you know, two businesses, Inspire and Evolve. And Inspire, when I formed it in 2004, you know, it was me, laptop and phone desk, come out of corporate world. I'll touch on that in a minute, actually, because I think it will relate to something we're going to talk about. But, and I, I looked around for, you know, great quality staff. I was a new business, professional services. And, you know, one of the first hires was somebody that I knew from a previous role, a lady called Anne. And she came to me having accepted the job within Two weeks, you know, while serving a notice and said, I'm pregnant, what do I do? Surely you don't want me now. And my reaction was, no, I really want you. You know, you're, you're, you're the individual I need. You have the expertise. Okay, so we're going to be flexible. And we're going to work differently together over the next period of time. But Anne is now, you know, still got two beautiful daughters, you know, works flexibly with me, but it's still part of our senior leadership team. And I look back on that and I thought it'd be so, it could have been so easy to turn around and say, no, actually, that's not what I need. I need a full time person but i'd have lost this level of expertise and dedication that Anne has given over 16 years and i think that's how more businesses need to think ruth that's a, that's an amazing story i love it and certainly our entrepreneurs said that the the part-time working mums that they had were the most efficient effective workforce that they'd ever seen yeah so it's it's like ironic in a way isn't it that this kind of male domination of the corporate world has actually from your findings pushed some women to break out and do things on their own. Yeah, absolutely. So pre-COVID, this was happening in terms of women saying, I want to create a, an environment I love. I want to go to work each day loving what I do. I want to get into a senior position. I want to feel like I can do that. Or, or I want to balance my work and my family life. Um, but during COVID, it's happening more than before. The hardest hit group is older women, women over 50, uh, of any group. They're the most likely to have been furloughed and the most likely to have lost their jobs. And that's because they've got the double whammy of A, being the women who are the primary carers and corporates going, I'm concerned we're going to have more lockdown phases. And if so, I'd rather retain my men. And secondly, because uh, it's easier to retire people that are over 50 and past it, although over 50 is anything but past it. And so they are taking the brunt of the double whammy. Um, but because of that, more women than ever before are looking at being entrepreneurs. So Albright Research is showing that 25% of women have already put the first steps in place on their new entre entrepreneurial venture. They may still be in work or they may be furloughed, but they're already thinking about what can they do as their entrepreneurial venture going forward. And I think that's really exciting and something that the UK should embrace. Definitely, definitely. And I think that's one of the things that will be interesting to see you know, we've recently had the Chancellor's statements and we're probably still under kind of tiered lockdown and all of those kind of things. But it'll be, I'm really intrigued to see when uh, Rishi, the Chancellor, stands up in March, what he does generally, you know, to support those kind of startup businesses. And if unemployment's going to go up, if it's going to be more difficult to get work, to actually inspire those with great ideas who are perhaps tentatively taking those first steps to actually make something happen and and create a business for themselves. That would be amazing. It would, wouldn't it? We can lobby. We can try. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we can be, yes, definitely. So I'd just like to touch on some, perhaps, the advantages that females, women have in business. It, you know, I think it's clear and it's obvious and it's 
it's not being too stereotyped to say women are naturally more empathetic and less egocentric um, than their male counterparts generally. How do you think those two traits benefit them as entrepreneurs and as business leaders? Yeah, a number of our interviewees talked about how they wanted to create a more open, collaborative, empathetic workplace environment, in part because they felt that made better decisions. If everybody's got an equal say and everybody can give their, openly give their point of view and debate it, then between them, they should be able to have a more 360 degree view and better outcomes from it. Obviously, somebody needs to make the final decision, which they would do, but they wanted to create collaborative environments that everybody felt able to speak in. And then also, interestingly, we tried to think of famous female entrepreneurs we could speak to. And we, we did speak with Martha Lane Fox, which was great. But thinking about it, there aren't a lot of them. There's a few in beauty and a few in like an LK Bennett in, in clothes. But other than that, there aren't a lot of them. And talking with our female entrepreneurs, they, they mentioned that they don't want to be the famous male entrepreneur type person. And the reason for that is that, A, they want their team to all step up, but B, because it's a bit like the tall poppy syndrome. If you stick your head up and, and be this egocentric person, other women don't like women that do that. And Hillary mm. Clinton suffered from that massively in the in the US election. So women feel that they can't boast in the same way. They can't be as egocentric. They can't flash the cash or whatever, that they need to keep their head down a bit and, and take everybody with them, steer the bus uh, with, with everybody on the bus, as they talked about it. And so that came through quite strongly in terms of their leadership style. Which I can understand, but surely at times that can be a hindrance because you've got to you know, that fear of putting your head above the parapet and, and it's um, it's a shame when, and it does happen, doesn't it? It's the, the first to criticise, the, the first to comment when your own gender shoots you down. But sometimes you've got to be on the front foot and, and get out there and be the personality of the business. Now, there's a fine line between that and the egocentric driven individuals that just stamp over everybody. But the challenge is, is finding that happy medium, isn't it, Ruth? Yeah, I think you've got to be able to make the final decision if there's debate and move yeah. forward. And I think you have to get, be able to go out there and network, another thing that women find quite difficult to do. And you have to be able to go out there and clearly communicate to your to your stakeholders. I'm not sure you have to be a personality or have a strong personality and you certainly don't need to have an ego, but you do need to be able to be firm and decisive and communicate clearly to people to be a strong leader. And did anything come out of the findings in terms of just thinking now about husband and wife teams and the benefits that that can bring? We had uh, a number of people, who a number of women who talked about how their husband was their rock. Uh, so they might play a more advisory role in the business or they might if they were good at marketing, they might help out a bit on the marketing. But the women were still the primary leader. Mm. Um, but they talked about them as the rock because they, firstly, the, the husband supported the business idea totally. So it was 100% behind it. They wanted their partner to succeed in it. And the women felt that the, their partner was giving them honest advice which helped enormously. A lot of people will give them blah, 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 but their partner will say it like it is, um, mm. as well as be there for them in the bad times as well as the good times. And so a number of people talked about that. Not everybody. Some people didn't have partners. Some people had partners who said they hadn't been supportive, but actually most of those, in most of those cases, they divorced. But uh, a number of them said that their partner was their rock. 
Yeah, but I think that's another area, isn't it? And point that's probably not gender specific. I always say I couldn't have d- done what I do now without Michaela being there behind me, supporting me in in the good times, but particularly in those challenging times or when those times when you've got self doubt and you just need somebody you can trust to turn to. Yes, I, I think it's probably a bit tougher in the female situation because those people who didn't have supportive male partners were usually those where the male's ego was getting damaged because they were second. So there is a dynamic between some males and females where the male needs to feel like they are top. And if the woman Mm. is being very successful, they can find that hard to take. I don't think it's the same the other way around. I think women are used to supporting their male partners much better. Okay, I can understand. And yeah, I can see that that point of difference. One of the things we talk about uh, Evolve quite a lot is, and it comes to that point really, it was around um, accountability partners and being part of a group or a network of people that support each other. I mean, through your own personal experiences, how important do you think that is to female entrepreneurs and business leaders? To have uh, a, a team around you who are supportive. Yeah, so that perhaps that external team that you can be accountable to. So rather than the team in the business, just... People, other people like you in business, other people to share ideas with, to get support from, to feel like you're not alone. Yes, absolutely. So there was a lot of talk in the interviews. I think we've got a, a whole chapter, if not more, on, on surrounding yourself with the right people. So they can be, some people had strong advisory teams. Uh, so these were seasoned, experienced people, often with smart money or good contacts who could nudge you in the right direction. So a number of people they had said they had people like that in their business who made sure they didn't go off piste. Some people had a strong network, often a female network of other business people, but also male as well, who they can brainstorm things with and, you know, check in from now and again, how are you finding it? What ideas do you have? And then people talked about having, needing to have a a strong social network, be that friends or be that brothers and sisters or parents or pets or whatever it is, people that you can just go right away from the business and even just have a good whinge at or a good celebration with uh, to step away from it and and take time out. So surrounding yourself with the right people was was seen as absolutely imperative. Fantastic. Brilliant. And I suppose moving on to another kind of potential advantage, and it's probably one people jest and joke about, but, you know, women are known and it's proven to be better at multitasking than men. How does this benefit them do you think especially when it comes to that point of work-life balance yeah this is very controversial some people really don't believe that women are better at multitasking to me it's kind of obvious that they are I think it's because women have to multitask more because uh, unfortunately in 2020 women are still doing more of the housework and the childcare. there was a study done just before covid uh, which showed that women uh, do on average 10 to 19 hours of housework a week versus their male partners who do less than five. So women have to come home and get the, the, the kids at dinner together and then get into bed, bath them, whatever it might be, maybe look after their aging parents, help them with the homework. And then they end up doing more of the cleaning and that stuff as well. So they have to multitask better. And we saw that in a number of our interviewees who had very complex lives, be it uh, they were single mothers, they were starting their own business at the same time, they had aging parents going through a nasty divorce. Uh, you know, they were full on in a number of different areas. I think it helps women 
in part because when they come home, they have to focus on the kids, which enables them to get a break from mm. their work and to be able just to get away with it and breathe a little in their heads and new ideas will pop in. So we talked about that. They talked a lot about how it was it helped them know when to stop. And they also talked about the need to plan and prioritize ruthlessly. So you know, each week with your PA, with your uh, home partner, you sit down and go, what do we need to focus on this week? Who's going to do what? So they they really focused on what really mattered. Yeah, which are great disciplines for all, aren't they? Particularly, you know, that plan, prioritise and focus and be present when you're going to be with the family. But also that whole point around calmness of mind, isn't it? Sometimes just taking yourself away, whatever you're doing, from the pressures you're facing and the challenges you're facing, you're right. It clears your mind and it frees up ideas, doesn't it? So exactly. they're good tips for all in business, aren't they? So there's some of the advantages that I could see and I could understand and it's clearly come to you from your research. And I suppose we've just talked a little bit about challenges as well, but let's just go on and explore those in a little more detail. Do you think that still today people are underestimating the challenges that women have to overcome to succeed in the business world? Yeah, absolutely. My my point of view changed as I did research for this book. So I've always been a lean inner. Uh, so Sheryl Sandberg work a little bit harder than the men to succeed. And many of our entrepreneurs were the same. But as I've done research on this book, I've realized more and more how disadvantaged women are by factors in the society, not because of their own disadvantages, but because society disadvantages them. So in, in the corporate world, you can see that it's tougher for women to break through the glass ceiling, in part because of kids, but in part because people like promoting people that look like them. So white males promote white males. And also, there's quite a lot of research around older men with grey hair are seen as having gravitas, as seen as experienced and confident, whereas older women are seen as past it kind of lacking confidence and and you know shouldn't be around much more and women in their 50s really struggle with this compared to men which is very sad to see um so in corporates it's tougher and then again in the entrepreneur world it's much tougher so shockingly only one percent of venture capital money goes to businesses started by all female founders one percent a further wow. a further eight percent scary it's scary a further eight percent is given to businesses that have at least one female founder and 91 percent goes to businesses that are started by all male founders and the reason for that is not because women don't deserve the money it's because the investors are mostly men and so when a female goes into an investor meeting and it's just a sea of men, the men tend to invest in ideas that are male orientated, the ones they understand, not the odd female ones that they don't understand. And they tend to invest in male geeks that they look at that seem confident to them and are in their likeness, not in more maybe unconfident looking females. And so you get this bias going on. So we had numerous um, stories of women who went to a number of venture capital meetings and it was just male men 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 in the audience and they didn't get funding until they got to a meeting where there was one female investor in the meeting who was willing to invest shocking that is isn't it? sorry I'm, i don't know what to say i'm kind of speechless i mean not only is this in what you've just said some very archaic views of those in their 50s but you know that funding piece is challenging isn't it because that is generational change needed because the vcs and the equity funds need to change their approach and the, the board of individuals that assess funding opportunities and make the decisions. Otherwise, 
that gender bias will never change, will it, Ruth? Well, the, the really interesting thing, Warren, is because uh, women have to often self-fund. So 72% of female entrepreneurs self-fund through crowdsourcing or remortgaging their house or taking friends and family money because they can't get venture capital. But the, the, we found three pieces of research that say that female entrepreneurs are more successful in their businesses. And we think it's because they have a harder hurdle to get over, to start their business, and also because they do more due diligence on the numbers to make sure it's going to work. And so male investors are actually losing out on how great females are, perversely. Definitely. I, I can see that. I assume, I suppose, technology will start to help, won't it? Because crowdfunding platforms, peer-to-peer funding, lending, and all of that is generally going to ensure that there's less gender bias in it. But it's still going to be an issue, isn't it? The the issue is that you get less money through crowdfunding. So um, men tend to scale their businesses quicker and therefore be more successful off that. I think that the big shift will come with getting females to invest, so creating female investors. And women seem a bit more loath to do that. So I think there needs to be more education and recruitment around getting female investors uh, confident to do it. Okay. So one of the things that I quite often talk about in, in my own story, and it's I'm looking at my screensaver on my computer now, and it's got a motivational kind of board on it. It's got pictures of Michaela and the kids. It's got pictures of places I want to go cycling, places I want to go and travel in the world. It talks about financial freedom. But one of those things is, and it just made me chuckle because I looked up and saw it as we started to talk about corporate world, is I've got a little kind of cartoon that says there is no corporate ladder. It's just people stepping on each other everybody's a loser in that game. So I think we'll come back to one of my pet topics, which is kind of that alpha male dominated corporate world. And we you know one of the reasons I left corporate world and set up my own business was I wanted that freedom and to do those things. So, you know, I, I can resonate with some of the thinking. Obviously, I don't fully understand it in, in the same depth and areas. But do you think we're any closer to rooting out that toxic alpha male masculinity that you find in the corporate world and and in some sectors? I think we're a lot different to when I was going through in the 1990s. I remember at the age of 26 being told that uh, whilst I was seen as uh, as good as my male peer, they were giving the bonuses, they were giving the the, the star levels to him because they could only give it to one of us and he had a, a family to support in the future and I and I didn't. Uh, so I remember being told that. I'm not sure that would happen as much today. So I mm. think at the lower levels, we've done a lot to progress women and make it a more even playing field. I think where we haven't made a lot of progress still is at the senior level. There comes a point where it's quite hard for a woman to break through without having to become completely masculine in her behavior. And that's because Women are expected to be empathetic, to be caring. They're often in HR roles or marketing roles, and the men can kind of accept them doing that. But as soon as a woman is expected to be determined and ambitious and lead and decisive, men get a little bit more uncomfortable because she's not being very feminine, is she? And I think that's a hard area for women to to, to, to balance in terms of being strong and firm, but not being overly masculine. In a sense, we're, women have only been in, strong in the workplace for 40 years, maybe since the 1980s. Before that, it really was, almost, you know, a lot of women stayed at home looking after the kids. So in many ways, given businesses have been going for 400 years, 40, 40 years isn't very much. And we've made a lot of progress in that time. But I think it will take another generation or two to really let it work its way through. Okay. Thank you, Ruth. 
I think it's probably too broad a statement, but one of the things is from a sort of, I suppose, evolutionary perspective, and I suppose it, it's a, it's probably a stigma that doesn't really exist, but I'll, I'll go on and ask the question anyway. You know, women can be seen as being more risk adverse than men. Is it then fair to say that women, in fact, have to fight that instinct even harder to take that leap to start a business, to become an entrepreneur? Uh, we didn't really see that. We think women are more risk aware. So okay. we, we had, I like that phrase. <laughs> yeah. So we had um, a lot of women who just wanted to be an entrepreneur. For whatever reason, they wanted to do it. It was kind of innate in them. And if you have that in you, then take the leap. Uh, you won't get it right first time. You'll need to shift and nudge the business and, and iterate it. But uh, you know, over time, you will get better and better and, and hopefully succeed. But what we found is that uh, women are more risk aware. Um, so they do more due diligence and they take their time to make sure that the business is going to succeed by doing research and doing the financials in depth. And then they also look at the risks around them better and try and think through what the risks might be and how to mitigate them. I think we've seen that a lot in terms of the female prime ministers or uh, presidents around the world in terms of how they've handled COVID. They've just looked at it from a more let's take this risk seriously and let's work through how to mitigate it, maybe more so than the men. And I think that's what female entrepreneurs do. Okay, that's brilliant. I mean, the Prime Minister of New Zealand has handled it so well. And when you listen to her statements, perhaps compared to what you see in other countries around the world, you know, they're full of humility, aren't they? And they're ununderstanding. And, and it's a completely different approach, maybe to some other countries. Uh, and other leaders that we may or may not know, <laughs> is all I would add. Exactly. Just to really summarise then, you know, as sort of male entrepreneurs, compared to female entrepreneurs, what lessons do you, or is there a key lesson do you think that male business leaders, business owners, entrepreneurs, founders can learn from their female counterparts? We were very surprised by two things. Uh, we thought the success of an entrepreneur would be down to having a great idea. That is not true. The success of an entrepreneur is the determination to be one, the courage to take the leap, the mm. resilience to keep going, the confidence to learn from your mistakes and nudge and change as is needed. Uh, those people succeed because they might get it wrong, but over time they'll get it right. We had a number of entrepreneurs who took time out to find their idea. They wanted to be an entrepreneur, but they didn't have an idea. So we had one person who went traveling for a year and became a yoga teacher. And she hung out with other entrepreneurs. And she eventually met somebody who had a fantastic drinks business idea, but didn't have the commercial and entrepreneurial nous to do it. So she partnered with him and they started the business together. And now it's a business that is so successful. It's rivaling Coke. It's in Sainsbury and, and Whole Foods and places like that. So wow. very, very, it's, yeah, it's called Botanics Lab and very successful. And she took her time out to find that idea we had other people doing the same thing so that resilience and courage and determination is the most important factor and if you want to do it you'll do it uh, you just got to find your thing and then the other thing that came through very very clearly to us was the most important thing is to enjoy the journey because it will be tough at times it will be bumpy if you're not doing something you're passionate about you'll give up at those times and so to do something that you love that you enjoy each day that you really believe in is very very important and Verity, aged 11, said, if you're doing it solely for the money, then it's probably not going to work. 
which I think was pretty profound for an 11-year-old. Yeah, she's old before her time, that girl. I definitely agree with that. I often say if you focus on the money, the money won't come. Focus on doing something you love and have a passion for and you really enjoy doing and you believe will add some benefits to your clients, to your customers and those in the world that you're going to interact with. And a consequence of that will be success. And with the success comes the money. But focusing on the money and the money doesn't come, definitely. Ruth, it's been a fascinating conversation with you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's made me stop and think and reflect myself, which is always good. If people want to know more about yourself and know where they can get a copy of the book, where can they go, Ruth? Fantastic. I'd love anybody to contact me. Um, The book is on Amazon. uh, So just go online, uh, Female Entrepreneurs, The Secrets of Their Success. Uh, Also, you can reach me on LinkedIn, Ruth Saunders, or on my company, beingonpoint.com co.uk being on point.co.uk brilliant thank you for being a great guest on the evolve to succeed podcast ruth thank you for having me a pleasure there were so many important things that came out of that conversation with ruth namely that you're never too old or too young to become an entrepreneur that there's plenty still to consider about the unique role of women in the workplace And that there's so much more to be done from both governments and organisations to keep bridging that gender gap. I was truly shocked by some of those stories and stats, especially around perceptions of working women past a certain age and that stark lack of funding for female-led startups. And while I'm glad that there's clearly been some shift in attitudes in the business world, it's obvious from what Ruth revealed today that there's still plenty of work to be done. And my feeling is that any country or organisation, be that in the private or public sector, that's not keeping up with those changes or indeed instigating them, is not only in danger of being left behind, they're also likely to lose a lot of potentially great talent to their business or organisation. If you want further access to insightful content, events, details of our webinars and inspiration, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and sign up for free to become a supporter of the Evolve community. You can also learn more there about the peer groups and coaching services run by Evolve. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and if so, please do rate, review and subscribe to future episodes. I look forward to you joining me again next week. Thank you.